Hey everybody and welcome to another exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. I have a return guest coming on this time. Very delighted to be talking with Eisner-nominated Dave Baker. Dave, <laughs> thank you so much for jumping in. Yeah, Jason, thank you for having me. And it's true. Uh, <laughs> I, I am indeed Eisner-nominated, uh, which sounds better than Eisner losing. <laughs> you know, but but Eisner is in there, which I think is great. Maybe one of these days I'll do something in the world of comics that will be worthy of a nomination for something. I don't know, but that's yeah, very cool. I, I would wear it. I, I am still shocked that we got nominated. I'm incredibly proud of it. Uh, I'm incredibly proud of the book. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm, yeah, it, it's still, I walk around every day with a little Eisner nominee patch that they give you at San Diego Comic-Con in my wallet because one day I'm going to win one of those. And That's the fact cool. that I've gotten as close as I've gotten, I'm pretty excited by that. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm emotionally buoyed, one might say. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's sort of like I keep teacher notes. Like if some student has written me a note or, you know, occasionally they, they give you a free car wash or something as a teacher. It's, it's high class. Um, and so, you know, you keep those. And if you're having sort of a down day, it's like, ah, oh, at least there was that car wash. Yeah. Yeah. At least I got uh, that 15, that 1499 car wash for 999. That's Hell. right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And then Eisner, I mean, even better. Much better yeah. than that. So I mean, I don't know. I would I'd take a free car wash. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. They're perks. They're definitely perks. Uh, but we're we're here to talk about a particular book of yours. And of course we could talk about a variety of books, but it is the the Halloween autumn season. Uh always a nice time for reading Stephen King or and Edgar Allan Poe. And so you have a new book to talk about that draws upon the ethos of this time, and that is Halloween Boy. Um, so thank you for sharing some images from the book with me and some issues and, and things like that. And when I saw that, I thought we need to do a Halloween special. So thanks for being willing to share about the book. Into it, man. Into it. Yeah. Does this mean we get to burst into like spooky song? Like, ookie dookie. That's exactly boy. Yeah, yeah, I don't, but the snapping, I don't know with the microphone if it's going to pick that up, but we'll we'll dub yeah. some of that in. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Halloween Boy is my current project. Uh, it's kind of a spooky action adventure comic uh, following the titular Halloween Boy. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The last descendant of a long line of uh, adventurers, uh, and uh, he's the world's greatest archaeologist for hire warlock and super scientist and he's kind of the self-proclaimed patron saint of the impossible so if somebody has a relative trapped in an alternate dimension or needs help with a civil war on an alien world uh they you know a tomb at the center of the earth that they need to get uh, the bones of their demigod out of you go to halloween boy you show up on the doorstep of his floating skull-shaped island and you're like uh, halloween boy help us out and he's like, all right, but only if it's impossible. And then uh, each each issue, there's five issues total so far. And each issue uh, is a different adventure that he goes on, a dis different impossible quest that he embarks on. And um, there's a kind of running mystery through all the background of all the titles um, mm -hmm. where, you know, there's maybe some 
some shenanigans about his family lineage. And yes, there are these this lineage of great adventurers, but maybe there's more to it. Always, yes, yeah. Dark secrets. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that kind yeah. of thing. It would be great to have like sort of an audio button on the front of the cover to, you know, sort of preview and go dark secrets and you just hit that yeah. button. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He's Halloween it. boy. Halloween boy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Has this been, has it been a long gestating process? Was this a, a spark of revelation or is it something you've been thinking about for a long time? Um, The book started because in 20, I think 19, either 2019 or really early 2020. I kind of don't remember exactly. Um, I was, uh, working as kind of like a adjunct editor at floating world comics who published mm -hmm. night hunters. And, um, I was talking with some various people about getting some licenses to bring to floating world and have floating world publish and to kind of, uh, both broaden their brand awareness in the direct market and also, um, selfishly work on some of those titles. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the, one of the titles specifically that I was trying to get was The Phantom, um, because I'm a huge fan and devotee uh, of The Phantom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I was very surprised at how open and accessible King Features was. They were really great. And they, you know, they took meetings with me and Jason, the, the publisher of Floating World. And we kind of were talking about what we would want to do and how we would try and update the Phantom and Flash Gordon. We were talking about both at the time. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the kind of weaknesses that the characters have because they're so, you know, uh, there's there's such a legacy there. Obviously, they're both created in the 30s. Um, and uh, hot take, the world's changed a lot in the ensuing 100 years. Mm -hmm. um, some for the better, some for the mm, yeah, jury's still out. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, so I pitched all these ideas and they were very open to it and they were very excited seemingly. And then we got to the point where they were like, okay, uh, you know, before we go any further, if you could please just, you know, kind of write up a God document of how you see all of this working and how you see it going. Um, and uh, I did. And then we had some more conversations and then ultimately everyone decided to part ways. So I had all of this information or these kind of story ideas for, the Phantom and for Flash Gordon. And um, obviously I'm a big fan of both of those properties. And I had just finished, uh, I had just finished my book, Mary Tyler Moorhawk, which was going to, is going to be published by Top Shelf comes out February 13th, 14th. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I, it was, but I had signed the book like a year in advance. Like I signed it in like February of 2021 and it comes out in February, 2022. Or no, February 2022, and it comes out in February, whatever the year is. Jesus Christ, I don't know what year it is. <laughs> 2024 is when it comes out, so 2023 yes. would have the year that I had started. Um, signed it it all runs together. Yeah, it all it runs together. Really does. Yeah, so I basically had a year on my hands to kill. You know, uh, Part of me was like, oh, maybe I'll make a sequel book to MTMH, or maybe I'll do something else, and then... One night I was kind of like looking through a bunch of these, you know, files that I have of different ideas, half started screenplays and, you know, ideas for books or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I saw that phantom stuff and I was like, oh, you know, I really feel like if I changed some stuff and kind of made him more Halloween themed, mm -hmm. um, I feel like all of this stuff could kind of still work. 
Um, so the the book kind of started there where it it was a phantom idea and then it evolved into a very different place. And I think you can still see the roots of the phantom in it, um, mm-hmm. but it, it is, it is decidedly a different thing uh, now. The, the visual style reminds me, <laughs> I mean, you were talking about like the, the floating skull and the, of course I think about like castle gray skull. So there's that influence that I, uh, that just spoke to me, but also um, battle boy or battling boy. Battling I kind of, yeah, I kind of feel some of those vibes going on through it because it has that sort of like open ended, open ended fun adventure that could be five bu- books or fifty five, um, depending yeah. on the way that you wanted to go with it. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of um, pulp serial novels and pulp serial movies, and Doc Savage is a favorite of mine. There's a lot of mm-hmm. Doc Savage in what it ultimately ended up being. I mean, Doc Clark Savage Jr. was literally raised on an island by mm-hmm. himself, by mm-hmm. you know. He was put there by his dad to train him to be the ultimate human. And that's more or less Halloween Boy's backstory, too, is that he was raised on a floating skull-shaped island in low orbit uh, by robots because he, he thinks his dad put him there to uh, take on this kind of immense crucible of being the patron saint of the impossible. Um, spoiler alert, that might not totally be true. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a, it's a lot of the kind of, iconography and and story tropes in the book are a hundred percent me just being like i love the shadow i love doc savage i love uh you know the phantom i love flash gordon and it's taking kind of all of those things that i like from that 1920s 30s 40s um adventure genre which quite frankly is usually very racist and very regressive uh and trying to make a cool uh, updated, hopefully politically progressive version of it that acknowledges the flaws in those tropes and exploits those flaws for dramatic potential. Um, at least that's the goal. I don't know if I yeah. succeed. But that's the goal. I love that. I love the thoughtfulness of that. And I mean, those are wonderful stories, wonderful characters. I imagine it was a lot of fun to sort of play in this sandbox of sort of science fiction adventure adventure been talking all day to students um, adventure fantasy. I imagine it was a great deal of fun to play with. Yeah. And I think also I, I kind of when I was first starting to build it out is like I kind of wanted to make a horror comic that felt like a um, adaptation from a TV show. So mm-hmm. like all of these characters have spawned media empires and they all have these very codified kind of building blocks to the way the intellectual property is structured. You know, they all have a a specific vehicle. They all have a catchphrase. They all have a sidekick. They all have a pet. They all have a base. They all have a um, iconic uh, visual motif that they repeat. They all have, you know, these various building blocks that, uh, characters created after that don't always embrace because I think that culturally those things might be a little looked looked down on now you know mm-hmm. like we really want our media that's produced now to feel like a prestige tv show um, I mean even look at the Avengers right there's like three phases each with seven movies mm-hmm. and they say Avengers assemble once mm-hmm. you know in the mm-hmm. very last movie it's like they back themselves into the corner where they had to say, well, there's nothing else for Cap to say now other than <laughs> assemble, mm-hmm. um, which I love that moment. But I also think that moment would have worked if, if you had had him say Avengers assemble in Avengers 2 and in Avengers 1. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I mean, literally, how many X-Men movies are there? Nine X-Men movies? And they've never uh-huh. on screen had Professor X say, to me, my X-Men? Like, what is that? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. This is true. So, so, I, so like, you know, you know, looking at the way those things kind of were in generations past and trying to embrace the fun and the joy in those formulas and the familiarity that can come from those while also trying to undergird it with a sense of emotional resonance and hopefully well-rounded characters that aren't just, um, you know, punching and kicking and uh, he's got a sword that lights on fire. Yeah, yeah. And as grounded as you want to take a superhero narrative in whatever direction you want to take it, there's always going to be that, like, this is not actually something that could happen or would happen even though Cap does wait until Avengers Endgame to say the famous line. He almost says it at the end of Age of Ultron. He says the yeah. first part. And then it's like Marvel's like, nope, nope. Um, so yeah. it's it's good to have a fun story where like these unusual things can happen, do happen. And uh, at the same time, it's lighthearted. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that that's hopefully, you know, as the book goes on, uh, it gets less lighthearted. I think the first mm-hmm. issue is pretty, you know, kind of uh, setting everything up and you're meeting the characters and you're seeing, you know, but also like, you know, his sidekick Carrion is an alien who's been uh, genetically altered by a mining conglomerate and uh, has post-traumatic stress because mm-hmm. she uh, has been tortured nearly to death and genetically augmented. Um and like, you know, that isn't necessarily, I mean, it is spelled out in that she says that and we see panels of her being experimented on and everything, but like, that's not everywhere in the book. It's not like a, a, some sort of rumination on what it means to have been through war. Um, but I hope that, you know, the book does have a deeper emotional undercurrent and that the genre trappings are a way of guiding people through um, a kind of intellectual exercise that ultimately leads to some place with a beating heart. Uh, that's that's the that's the aspiration of it anyway yeah yeah absolutely and um just being familiar with the range of work that you've done i know there's definitely a beating heart there uh forest hills bootleg society i mean uh you explore people and explore characters uh with a lot of meaning and depth so thank you yeah 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 that's something i uh work really hard at and i really enjoy the process of um, building out those interior worlds almost as much as the world building of the exterior worlds, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I I find a lot of joy in that moment. There's like a Rubicon, an emotional Rubicon, where at one point it's a drawing, and you just decide. I guess the character is named that, and mm-hmm. then you develop them and you write all these words about them and you talk about them. And then some magical point in there, they shift from being a drawing with a name that you decided into being a real person. And that is their name. Mm -hmm. And you can't just put them in any situation because they wouldn't do that or they wouldn't allow themselves to be there. Um, And that, that magical shift is what the, uh, what I'm kind of always chasing and really, really enjoy and then the the magic trick of getting other human beings to care about this being that you just made up. Oh, a hundred percent. Really nice thing. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you know, I think there's also something um, totemic about these characters. If they're mm-hmm. if somebody's designed well, 
um, you know, if there's a very easily communicable visual identity, whether that be, you know, a slice of life story where it's just you look at the characters and you instantly know, oh, that's a nerd and that's a jock and they're going to be best friends and it's going to be an odd couple story mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something like Halloween Boy where he's got a weird creepy mask and he's got these big fangs teeth, but he also has like a jumpsuit that's like a military fatigue thing. So you're like, oh, so he's kind of like an adventurer monster guy. It's kind of like maybe like it's Hellboy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. still kind of get the idea of what it is and you're hopefully drawn to it. Um, like I've seen that at conventions where people just walk by, see his mask and are like, oh, mm-hmm. OK, um, which is very weird for me because uh, yeah. I'm like, I don't I don't know if this works. And then people are like, I love this guy's mask. And I'm like, oh, cool. It works. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had those moments of walking by a banner or just seeing like a, a page and being like, ah, I, I'm instantly interested in whatever this thing is. Yeah, me too. Yeah, there's there's nothing quite like that where you're out in the wild and then there's some sort of, you know, shape language object where you just are magnetically drawn to it. For me, it's usually bats and or fangs uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. or monsters. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about this bat with giant fangs. Tell, right, me, tell me more right. about this. <laughs> it's a whole niche. Yeah, um... yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so curious if you have a George Lucas style notebook of like the ideas to come, the the episode 79 starring Halloween Boy. I definitely have I definitely have at least two more arcs planned out, whether I will actually make them or not. I don't know, mm-hmm. um, but I, I definitely have two more things Um Without spoiling anything, one of the things I don't like about the military industrial complex around creating superheroes is that superheroes are never proactive. They're always reactive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And uh, when they are proactive, it's usually in a fascistic way. Um, It's, you know, exerting Superman's dominance over an entire country or it's Miracle Man reshaping the globe or it's you know, the authority coming in and and uh, fixing Africa's water problem, but also installing puppet governments or, you know, that that mm-hmm. type of uh, execution of what a there's just a cynicism in a lot of that stuff that I don't respond to, where I think there's a primal innocence and a power to superhero narratives that I understand the desire to want to ground it in an emotional reality that we uh, can process, which ultimate power typically in our earthly experience corrupts absolutely mm-hmm. but we don't live in that world in the comic book dimension we live in a world where crypto the super dog and beppo the super monkey are best friends right, so right. why would it be that hard for someone who had ultimate power to um try and influence the globe in a positive way not just prevent bad people from influencing the globe in a bad way um so maybe there might be something to do there Maybe that might be an idea. Who knows? Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds fascinating. And social and political at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and there's probably going to be pumpkins and uh, bats and, uh, you know, flaming swords because that's kind of what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Um, So if I'm a listener out there and I want to find out about Halloween Boy or Mary Tyler Mohawk. Morhawk, close. Morhawk, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. I was yeah. picturing a uh, mohawk. mohawk. Um, so where where might I go in the world to find such things? 
uh, Mary Tyler Moorhawk, which is my original graphic novel coming out through Top Shelf in February, which is, uh, I usually describe it as Buckaroo Banzai crossed with House of Leaves. Mm. Um, it's a half prose novel, half comic book. Um, that comes, uh, you can pre-order that wherever, anywhere. You just Google Mary Tyler Moorhawk. Uh, they have it at Target, Barnes & Noble. Uh, which is real weird to see it on the Target website. It <laughs> freaks me out every time. Um, yeah, you can find that wherever. Uh, Halloween Boy and all of my other books you can find at my website, heydavebaker.com. Um, there's five issues. Uh, well, there's currently four, but by the time this goes up, there'll probably be five because the fifth issue is coming out in middle of October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also there's going to be a Halloween Boy action figure. Um, Love it. Yeah. Uh, Fresh Monkey Fiction, which is an independent toy company, it has licensed Halloween Boy to appear in their toy line, Operation Monster Force. Uh, the second wave of that is going up for pre-order on Big Bad Toy Store October 16th. And uh, our boy HB is going to be there. Uh, and uh, I believe there's going to be two variants, maybe one where he's smiling, one where he's frowning. Um, and he comes with multiple hands, multiple guns. He comes with the obeyer blade, which is a giant flaming sword with Dracula's head on the hilt. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I'm very excited for that toy to exist in the universe. Very, very cool. Very cool. There's an action figure and all the things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. First step action figure, second step video game, third step feature franchise. Uh, directed right, by- right. George Lucas. Come on, George. Come out of retirement. What are you doing? Exactly. Starring Tom Cruise. Master oh, yeah. of the impossible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's the patron saint of the impossible. It has to be Tom Cruise. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. He's going to put those fang dentures in, wear the weird, you know, triangle mask and cowl and then uh, jump off a building. Yeah. Nothing's I, impossible. Absolutely. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Dave, thank you so much for coming for the uh, Halloween Boy Special Edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Delighted to talk with you anytime about your work, and it's always a good conversation with you. Thanks, man. Great to be here, and uh, I look forward to hanging out next October. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We, we will talk again. Yeah. <laughs>